0: The Spot Track Podcast, talking sports contracts, the salary cap, and business of sports.
1: Today's edition of the Spot Track Podcast is presented by The Athletic. Visit theathletic.com slash SpotTrack. Get yourself 40% off. Download that app. Personalize it. Tell them you love football because football is back, and there's plenty of great football to be listened to and read on theathletic.com. That's theathletic.com slash spot track today. My name is Mike Gennetti. Happy Wednesday. Football Eve. Bills at Rams tomorrow night, 8 p.m. Eastern. Hell of a matchup. Plenty to talk about in terms of the NFL. We do that a little bit here, and then actually we'll switch gears to fixing some of these things in terms of players' ability to get contracts, the franchise tag scenario, some of the uh, NBA-designated player situations, and how we can have multiple conversations across baseball, football, and basketball with maybe the same problems happening at the same time, and just some thoughts between Dan Selman, Scott Allen, and myself about how we can address these, maybe some ideas with the franchise tags, rookie contracts, wages, things like that. But uh, a really, really big uh, discussion at the back end of the show in that regard. But first, Super Bowl winners in the past 10 years, how they look from a cap perspective, how they look from a dead cap perspective, how they look from a betting perspective. We go through some numbers in terms of you know players that I think we're underselling right now brand new free agent contracts. Maybe the the rust has worn off a little bit. Maybe they didn't have the best preseasons or maybe there's other players in the rosters that are overshadowing them right now. Dan Soman brought some great names to talk about in that regard. Rams, Jaguars, Bills, things like that. And then, uh, like I said, we get pretty uh, hot and heavy in terms of (laughs) designated players across multiple sports and how the leagues currently deal with them and maybe how they can start to deal with them in the next 10 years or so. Hope you enjoy. All right, guys. NFL week. Let's start with the NFL. Um, we've kind of run the gamut on this, right? Some over/unders, some some gambling thoughts. Certainly, the uh, financial side of things and some recent contract extensions. Dan, you put together another list here um, that we can certainly build on here as we talk it out of recent free agent contracts that you know may not be the biggest deals in the world, but you think from a location standpoint, from a destination standpoint, and now looking at these rosters heading towards Week One, there's at least some fantasy availability, which could turn into big time production because of the lack of depth around them in various positions, which could lead to big years, which could lead to even bigger contracts in the future, right?
0: Yeah, basically what I was trying to do here is um, look at situations that the public might perceive um, having some uncertainty and not really knowing where targets or touches will go and sort of just looking at the contracts that were uh, given to certain players. Um to, to sort of rely on, um, you know, using that as a, a signal, um, that they could be set up for, for more fan, more usage and fantasy production, um, than people give, uh, initially give credit.
1: Yeah. I like this quite a bit. Um, I, I have more names in my head, but obviously the Christian Kirk stuff is, it's going to be viewed under a microscope this year because that was like the first big contract that hit that made us all go, what the hell's going on? Right. With free agency. and then. 17 wide receiver contracts later it now looks exactly where it's supposed to be at 18 million a year and i feel like that's not getting enough credit it it, it smacked us in the face but now if we actually go back and calm the hell down a little bit it's perfect
0: yeah and like football twitter is still in like lol mode so that's what i'm saying right so you you should bring
1: some common sense to this (laughs) year
0: yeah exactly so when that contract was signed i think a lot of people were like well christian kirk he really hasn't done that much in the league's pretty unproven um which <laughs> i think was more of a situation uh, a situational um type of thing rather than like the player being not talented at all mm-hmm. um so when he, now he leaves um arizona which was a, a fine offensive situation but you know kind of log jamming the receivers there um and he goes to jacksonville which like nobody is high on them right now because of more, more so because of recency bias with all the urban wire stuff last year and what a train wreck, everything was. So, um, he goes to Jacksonville. I I think people are just down on him down on Jacksonville because of last year and, and looked at the contract and just immediately thought it was a bad contract. Well, if you've, if you've watched any of the preseason or seen any numbers here, he is the bonafide number one there. Mm -hmm. He is the offense is pretty much going to run through him in a lot of ways. Um, I think he had like 18 targets through like uh, like 20 minutes of uh, preseason play or something like that. It, it's pretty obvious that um, Trevor Lawrence is going to look to him. Doug Peterson is going to look to get him involved in the offense. Um, and really beyond him, it's super uncertain. I, you know, you have a 30 plus Martin, um, 30 year old Martin, Marvin Jones that um, you know I, I don't really know if we're counting on much out of him. So um, I think um, you know despite the early. You know, the criticism of the contract. I think there's potential um, for him to have a massive year. And, you know, just by looking at the money that they they dedicated
1: to him. So, so. two two things on this, and and it's the Jaguars as a hold. I, I would add Evan Engram to this exact same list for almost the exact same reasons. I think he's coming off a shit situation in New York. He's got talent. He showed a bit of a ceiling there. I, I think he's going to expand because it's really just going to be him and Christian Kirk in terms of big time pass producing catchers out of the back, out of the backfield there. And two, why can't this be? If if Trevor Lawrence is going to be the next Andrew Luck, and I still think there's plenty of time for that to evolve, why can't this become T.Y. Hilton? Isn't that a, isn't that a ridiculously decent comp for Christian Kirk? What he could be now with with an actual number one availability given to him?
0: Yep, I totally agree. I'm I'm big on Kirk this year. I like him in fantasy in terms of where he's going. Yeah. Um, I, I I included the line here on Fanduel. He's. Um, He's 850 receiving yards, four and a half receiving touchdowns. I do like the over on both of those if he is going to be the focal point of this offense. I, I, um, you know, barring injury, I don't really see, which is always on the table, but I don't really see how he um, at least isn't isn't right there with those numbers.
1: Scott, I'm going to throw a curveball into this conversation because it's going to be in your neck of the woods there near D.C there's not much to talk about with the commanders outside of what the hell are they doing with Carson Wentz? And by the way, that's still the headline. (laughs) It was my headline six months ago and it's still the headline, but the McLaurin contract was good. And I think everybody loves the player now loves the contract. Maybe not the best situation for him, but he's going to be the one single focus on that offense right now. But is there a second offensive focus? Are we undervaluing Logan Thomas coming off this injury? Are we underserving Antonio Gibson's role now that Brian Robinson is out for at least four to five weeks? Is there an actual another playmaker on this roster that we should be considering?
2: No, I think the, the two that you bring up are are dead on. You know, Logan Thomas, they had high hopes with him last year when he had that injury. Say with uh, Gibson, they had high hopes. They sort of had running back by committee. So, you know, you're getting these players back and it's almost like a brand new roster to a certain extent because you didn't have them uh, being utilized. Now you have a different quarterback at at the helm there. So I agree. Those two plus Terry McLaurin Mm -hmm. could be your one, two, three uh, moving forward.
0: Yeah. If I can throw just like a long shot name there, Jahan Dotson is a guy yeah. I like and,
2: um Yeah, you're
0: right. No, no, I I'm not even saying like he should be a guy that should have been included in your list, but just as like a dart throw type of player date, I, I, I believe he went 16th overall in the draft um, draft. Capital is a major way to, to try and assess rookie um, production. I, I think he's like a sleeper guy. He's been all over Twitter. Um, this, um, through training camp, he's making plays all over the field. Um, he he just looks the part to me. So, um, he's a guy I really think could emerge, but I do agree with you. It's pretty, it's pretty narrow there, especially with Brian Robinson out now, we're really not sure what they're going to do in the, in the running back room. Um, yeah, it's pretty underwhelming talent there, but
1: just one um, more point though, because you know, we can, we can shit on Carson Wentz as much as possible and it's deserved for the most part, but Carson Wentz is an upgraded Taylor Heineke. And if you look across the league, how many teams actually upgraded their quarterback position? Truly, how many middle-of-the-road teams got better at that position? You can you can argue Pittsburgh did. You know, not a lot, but I, but I think any, anybody was an upgrade from what Ben was last year, at least from a, a passing game standpoint. And I think Carson Wentz is 100% an upgrade from Taylor Heineke, even if he maybe managed the game well. He's going to be able to open some things up a little bit for the McLaurins, for the Dotsons, for, certainly for Logan Thomas's. I just think we're underserving in a terrible division, by the way, we're underserving some of the weapons on this roster. And by the way, they didn't just sit in their hands. They did extend some players. They did make some free agent signings. So it's not like they're, they identify themselves as a team going backwards. Maybe they're stuck in the middle, but I think that's, there's some value in that still.
0: Yeah, I totally agree. And, And to your point, McLaurin, um, is actually a really sleep. Uh, he's kind of a sneaky candidate for a huge season, uh, based on what you said. He, uh, what whatever we think about Carson Wentz, he he's a gun, he's a bit of a gunslinger and mm-hmm. doesn't mind taking risks, as we saw in Indy last year. In that, you know, he's going to force the ball to McLaurin. I have no doubt about that. Whether that translates to a big season or not, I'm not sure, but I'm, I'm I think it's at least on the table, right?
1: Dale, let's go out west to the Rams who open up the season against the Bills Thursday night. Big move, kind of an undersold move. Uh, you know, I think from a fantasy perspective, a lot of people are in an Allen Robinson. Are they in enough? Or is that going to be a Cooper Cup light situation that's really a big upgrade from what Robert Woods was to that roster?
0: Yeah, I personally think. Allen Robinson might be the move of the off-season. Um, that was like a really big um, addition to that roster. I think. Um, simply put, he's like a former number one receiver that just had a really bad situation in Chicago. Um, I mean, it looked like he quit a little bit, but who knows if I don't think he's dead. Is all I want to say. And we saw what happened, um, last year with Robert Woods, Cooper Cup, essentially being drafted fantasy-wise around the same. Um, you know, in in the fourth, fifth round last year. And typically Cooper Cup was going after Robert Wood. So um, on the flip side with Cooper Cup being a top five easy first round pick this year, I think it's at least on the table um, that we could, you know, those roles could flip to some degree. And maybe Allen Robinson cuts into the Cooper Cooper Cup target share quite a bit more than we think. And maybe he even becomes a little bit of the 1A there. Um, that's a little hot takey, I guess. But no, no, I, I don't think
1: it is. Let, let me explain why Scott try to try to answer this or, or, or give me your thoughts on this. The, the thing I love the most about the Ellen Robinson signing in Los Angeles is that they have shaken things up. They have, they have voluntarily shaken up their offense when I don't think a lot of franchises would have touched it. The Bills certainly didn't. I mean, the Bills swapped out their fourth receiver, you know, brought in Jameson Crowder. That's not going to move the needle and, you know, And he's going to be an afterthought once Isaiah McKenzie is 100% anyway on that roster. So you've got two teams heading into week one here Thursday night. And I think very different approaches. Very. I mean, you can talk about Bobby Wagner uh, in, Von Miller out. They got a little younger on the defensive line as well in Los Angeles. And the Bills basically said, we we screwed things up last year. That should have been our year. We think we can run this thing back with basically the same roster. Sands a couple of injuries right now two different approaches. Do you have more faith in one or the other here?
2: No, both are viable options. The Rams, you know, they don't want to be complacent. They want to at least upgrade where they can Uh, bills. They did some upgrades, but they, for the most part have signed their own own back or extended. you know, the Von Miller was probably the, the biggest addition to that team, but you know, we've talked about this in the past. You know, we talked about the box last year and how they were trying to run it back. Or we talk about some of these other, you know, franchises in other leagues where they shake it up completely, or they keep things the same. It just depends on how the, the coaching staff and the GM feels that everything's going to be put together. And how good is the are. chemistry?
1: <laughs> how good it, is the coaching staff to be able to handle that? Cause that's one of Belichick's correct. secret sauces. You know what I mean?
2: Right, absolutely. So if, if they feel the Allen Robinson addition is a, a huge upgrade over an OBJ and and anyone else they could have brought in, then yeah, you have to take that chance because you in a league that is extremely fluid, uh, and this team is absolutely that because they've made trades and and everything else under the sun. Um if, if it's going to get you over the hump again, because you think you needed to uh, do something to get one inch further than the next best team, then you've got to do it.
1: Yeah. It's two things. A, I just think it's, it's good for business, obviously, but B, you know, now they've got to think about the Defenses have to think about how to game plan Allen Robinson versus looking at tape from last postseason and understanding how things worked out with the, with the receivers that were there. There's obviously that. Um, Dan back to the bills real quick, because obviously how, how do we not talk about this team heading into the regular season? Did they do enough? Because if I sit here and actually think about the offseason moves for the bills, obviously it was a lot internal for the second year in a row. Von Miller is really the single outside addition that they made to, to this, I don't know, starting 30 or 35. And, and obviously the punter position has, has transformed, but that's for obvious reasons. Um, couple of draft picks. The cornerback's going to start. James Cook's going to be a major factor at some point in this season in the running game, but you know that's a dime a dozen situation with running backs. Are, is, there, is there a complacency concern here with this Buffalo team, or do you think that there's so much juice? And by the way, new offensive coordinator, You know, in, internal offensive coordinator, but it could shake things up there as well. Do you think they've got enough pieces without adding things externally, like the Rams have done, to bring this thing to the finish line?
0: Yeah, I, I truly do. I know what you mean. It's a valid point. Um, they did, Outside of the Von Miller move, they didn't really make any huge splashes. Mm-hmm. Um, But they really didn't need to. And we saw that. I mean, everyone knows the, how the season ended, right? With the Chiefs game, it was a wild shootout. I don't think anyone came away from that saying, wow, we need to remake X, Y, or Z, <laughs> unless you wanted to focus on the defense, which was really just like an all-time bad runout um, you know, in the last few minutes here. So I think they did enough. What I particularly like is I feel like the moves that they did make were very finesse moves and they were very like role specific. Um, like we saw even with roster cutdowns, um, locally, there were a lot of questions about certain guys who didn't make this roster. Well, pretty, pretty simply put, it was because they didn't offer enough in the role that the team needed for them. Right. So um, talented wide receivers, running backs got left off because they didn't offer much in the special team side of things. Um, and, and quite frankly, uh, Brandon Bean just uh, kind of came out and said, like, if you're if you're a sixth receiver on our team, you have to offer us more than just catching balls. So um, from that perspective, I think the the ads that they did make fit very well on um, what they're trying to do. And I, not to, like, rail on Cole Beasley or anything, but I think some of the subtractions might have been, like, additions by subtractions like an aging cole beasley you turn that over you bring in you sort of fill that role with a few guys with isaiah mckenzie Jamison crowder is going to get slot time um Mm -hmm. the the rookie khalil shakir is going to get slot time i think they don't they don't necessarily want a guy who's going to be on the field for 80 percent of the snaps i think they want to mix and match that third wide receiver position there um and and be a little bit more dynamic less predictable that you saw that with James, the James cook addiction edition. You, you still have Zach Moss there, Devin Singletary. They're both going to have a role. I think this team just wants to be able to game plan, um, you know, even quarter to quarter, half to half. And, and they made the, they made really good moves to do that in my opinion, to make a long story
1: short. And to your point (laughs) on those roster cuts, many of those players hit the practice squad Tavon Austin, Duke Johnson, not bad guys to have as your seventh or eighth options on a week-to-week basis for that fifty-fourth and fifty-fifth man call-ups, if you need them, if there's an injury or scheme or scheme system like you're talking about, I, I, I real quick, two minutes. Is the secondary scary? I mean, starting a I rookie, see- starting a rookie left cornerback. Obviously, Dane Jackson in for Jadavious White, who's at least four games. It feels like it's going to be longer. I, I just kind of reading the the media tea leaves here. It feels like that's a TBD situation. What if he's out half the year? Is this Buffalo defense prepared for that, you think?
0: I I think it's a tough question.
1: Because that was I an easy add, in my opinion, and they didn't do it. You know, obviously they swung big with the first round pick, but they didn't add a Joe Hayden. They didn't go anywhere, you know, in terms of free agency at this position. So I, I'm just just specifically speak to that if you can.
0: I think they have. You know, two young guys. They want playing time there. They know Trey White's not going to be ready to start the season. If they, if this team is committed to being a Super Bowl contender, then you shouldn't be wanting to rush Trey White back. Um, I, I I think the offense is good enough to make up for any deficiencies. I totally get your point. The secondary is probably, you know, the potential, uh, you know, sinkhole on the roster if things don't really break right. But, um, I, I think they feel they have enough internally that they at least want to see what those guys can do in the beginning of the year to, you know, and let's say they are starting caliber cornerbacks that fill right in. And then you add Trey white and it's, you know, then you have a powerful secondary, but I think it's at least, they've seen enough what they want out of is it Benson and, um, <clears throat> and, um, the first round rookie, yeah,
1: Elam, yep. um,
0: Elam, yeah. So they, I, I think they're just going to, they could have done more. I think it would have been really pressing the issue to do more. So I don't really have an issue with them going into the season, seeing what they have. We talk about this with baseball, right? Yeah. Your, your roster is not complete day one. You want to see what you have. You can make additions from there. Once you, um, you know, have a better perspective. Um, I think the bills are very much going to do that. Like there it, it's it, this division theoretically shouldn't be a major dog play. I think they, they have a little time to kind of figure things out, make a trade or bring, you know, once Trey whites back,
1: yeah, that was going to be my my sure rebuttal to up. you is it's Tua Mac Jones and Joe Flacco slash Zach Wilson. So my, my guess is, you know, Leslie Frazier is not too super concerned about quarterbacks going over the top on his defense this year, at least is divisionally speaking. Scott, I got a game for you here. Um, switching gears slightly, but staying in the NFL. The Bills are the plus 600 favorites to win the Super Bowl this year. It's been that way basically all offseason. And even though they didn't add much, they simply are who they are. They got a little deeper in the draft, as we mentioned here. And they're the betting favorites to win the Super Bowl. It's only happened twice in the past 10 years that the betting favorites actually won the Super Bowl. It's not hard to guess who that team is. Go ahead. Patriots? (laughs) Yeah, obviously it's Brady's Patriots. Right. Both times that it happened, the Patriots were plus 600 preseason start as the as the betting favorites to win so it's the exact same scenario that the bills are in but that means eight other teams came from somewhere else in the preseason rankings to win the super bowl so the odds are stacked against the bills and if you're anywhere on social media today you are seeing the bills being picked by absolutely everybody from the people Mm -hmm. that we respect to the people we don't give a rat's ass about everybody's picking the bills okay and i think we are too by the way we've done that quite a bit here are they that good of a roster? With are they that well coached? Is their schedule that friendly to the point of where they get to wild card weekend or or conference or divisional weekend? Assuming the buy, and they're still the team to beat. Or do you think that this AFC is just too loaded to consider anybody a plus six hundred favorite right now?
2: No, I, I, you know me. I love deep rosters, and for the most part, I think this team is pretty deep from all aspects. So no, I don't think that the plus 600 is, uh, is wrong. Um, I, I, there are teams that are going to absolutely contend for that, but outside of that, I, I, I think the bills are due for that plus 600. Now with everybody saying the bills, the bills, the bills, you have to hope that the, uh, can live up to the hype because the hype is the highest it's ever been for this team. And you hope that they can show up, especially with all the prime time games that they have this year. And speaking of that,
0: it all, like to that point, Scott, it almost feels light, doesn't it? Like <laughs> I almost <laughs> thought this would be more like plus four hundred or well, something. Well, yeah, after seeing how many
1: people fun. are picking them, Dan, you're probably right. They probably should be yeah. plus four fifty.
0: I mean, even if people aren't picking them, they're in the conversation of the top few. So it it almost feels like the safest. Super Bowl bet to me, and I, I hate to say that on, on picking the favorite, but like it feels a little light to me, quite honestly.
1: The Rams were plus 1200 last year, that was the fourth best odds. Uh, the, the, the Buccaneers were plus a thousand two years ago when Brady joined, that was fifth, and the Chiefs were plus 600, but that was second to the Patriots back in 2019. So, in terms of recency, it hasn't been the favorite. But it's been, pre- it's been a top five preseason bet. And, fr- and there's pretty damn good value in all this. And, and I agree, Dan. I think plus 600 is still good value. And by the way, I, I checked that 15 seconds ago. So that's still where you can get the bills. You can still get six to one odds on the bill. So let's switch, let's switch gears a little bit to our neck of the woods, back to the money. And S- Scott, we do this pretty much every single year before and after the fact. But I got a table here. Again, with the past 10 years of Super Bowl winners. And I've got two columns. And those are rankings, okay? And the ranking, the first set of rankings is the total amount of cap dollars spent that year. So where that team ranked. And as you and I know, (laughs) right? It's almost never at the top. And it's generally not at the bottom. The only exception was the Chiefs two years ago when everybody was dirt, dirt cheap in terms of Kelsey and, and, and Hill and Mahomes and the works. They were literally last in the league in cap spending. Then the second column is dead cap ranking. How much dead cap has been allocated to the current season that the team won the Super Bowl? And the reason I brought both these things into the conversation is there's been a really big shift in both of this thinking. So if you look 2015 and back on each of these columns, total cap and then dead cap specifically, the total cap for the Super Bowl winner is top 10, top 5 in a couple of cases. And that was the way to do it. And the dead cap is bottom of the ha- bottom half if not 30th. And that's how the teams when when the when the hard cap came in in 2010, between 2010 and 2015, everybody got freaked out. They didn't want to have any dead cap that was was inhibiting them from being able to add free agents and things like that or sign their own players. But at the same time, it was a pay-to-play structure. They felt like they had to be Aged, experienced, high paid to win the Super Bowl. And by the way, it worked. And then all of a sudden, something flipped. And for me, it was Russell Wilson. I think when Russell Wilson won the Super Bowl in 2013 and they figured things out, the rest of the league looked at that and said, What are we doing? If this is possible and this wasn't just an anomaly, we should all be doing this. And the Ravens did it with Flacco and et cetera and et cetera. So, I think the first five years of that CBA and the last five to six years of the CBA are complete 180s because now everybody's looking for value, whether you're the top contender, whether you're the betting bills or whether you're the, you know, the Atlanta Falcons (laughs) looking to completely retool this thing for next season. And the dead cap has flipped on its head along with it. The Rams won the Super Bowl last year with the fourth amount of most amount of dead cap in football. Unprecedented. For a hard cap league, completely unprecedented, because it wasn't about who was being paid on their roster. It was more about who they replaced on that roster, right? Todd Gurley gone, Brandon Cooks gone, Clay Matthews gone, Jared Goff gone. That's what mattered the most. And teams are basically saying out loud in front of us, we can do this thing in four months and win the Super Bowl. We can fix our problems in four months with trades and free agency and draft and win the Super Bowl. There's enough availability. There's enough talent in each draft to get this thing done. So every year you punt these numbers out and you end up giving me the the bottom numbers, which is the median that these two columns fall under. So the median for the last 10 years is 12th in, in cap spending and 14th in dead cap spending. I'm going to tell you right now, there's a team that is 13th in total cap spending and 13th and dead cap right now. Literally the exact same ranking for both categories. You guys have three guesses each. Who is that team? And should I bet this team to win the Super Bowl?
2: Well, the way you phrase that, it's not the Buffalo Bills. It's not the Bills.
1: In fact, I'll give you a huge hint Is it the Minnesota Vikings? It is the Minnesota Vikings. <laughs> wow. It is the Minnesota Vikings a team we've talked about quite a bit and I know oh, yeah. Kirk cousins is getting some sleeper MVP talk, but it's got every year we try to find teams based on these rankings that we should yeah. bet because more times than not, the middle of the road works out in this regard. Well, they are middle of the road in the two categories that we care about most. So if you didn't have a reason before you have a reason now, they're, they're spot track promoted <laughs> Minnesota Vikings. Yeah. You, you, there's two reasons why,
2: the shift that you just went through has come about one is the rookie scale. So you get all the value out of the rookie scale where you're paying quarterbacks, not what
1: you paid pre rookie scale. Let me jump in though. It's not just that it exists. It's that there's confidence in it now.
2: There is confidence, but there's more confidence because you know, there's no negotiation in there. You're not going in and having to pay a Sam Bradford uh, massive money or having to negotiate all of the intricacies that go into that. So they can go in with the rookie scale and know we we can project what the rookie scale is going to be next year based off of the cap increase and all of that. So that is one factor. And
1: and knowing that it's a four plus four four year contract plus fifth year option, teams can now dictate their own timeline with it. In fact, this is the first year since 2007 that a rookie quarterback is not starting week one. This is the first year that a, a year one rookie will not be taking the field in week one, which means a, it wasn't a good quarterback crop. We know that, but also B, especially with like a Kenny Pickett, there's no need to throw him out there to the wolves because we have him under this team control. We have this value, not just for this year. We have this value for five years, six years. If you t- count the tag like Lamar so they can budget their own timeline with these with the rookie wage scale, even at the quarterback position.
2: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Which goes to my second point is that is why teams are not afraid to go to the dead cap route and knowing that the cap is going to go up every year and you have rollover teams are not afraid anymore because of the value of the rookie scale, whether it's for quarterbacks or not and the rising cap, they know they can just push it down the line or that's why you're seeing teams like the Buccaneers or the Pittsburgh Steelers, changing the way that they've done contracts over the last few years because they know they have to operate in a different standard than they have in the past and if they can shift that dead cap down because they're going to get the value out of the quarterback or running back or wide receiver or defensive player whatever it might be you know it it's in their best interest to do so i mean i look at the list that we have here and like you said russell wilson with the seahawks Mm -hmm. you've got uh, the Eagles had, uh, yeah, foals for a while there fools for a while, Mahomes. They, uh, but even, even before Foles, it was, um, um, uh, Carson, what, Carson Wentz was there on the rookie scale. You got the Mahomes. So you have teams that are able to operate differently, knowing that we're 10 years into this rookie scale. They're really starting to manipulate it to their best
1: interest. Dan, is it a problem? No. <laughs> no? I mean, are we going to get into a baseball situation in this league where 0.5% gets paid and 99.5% just has to deal with six years and then figure it out year by year? Well,
0: not to go into a whole new conversation, but it te- I- I'm actually going to step back on what I just said when you phrase it like that, yeah. the Russell Wilson stuff with the percent of the cap, yeah, that's going to get, that is going to get.
1: Well, Watson's the- even worse. Don't worry. Watson's going to be even worse, especially when they restructure him again and it's going to happen. So uh, yeah, it's going to get scary. I mean, you're going to be talking about players that account for almost 30% of a salary cap at one position when you need 53 to 55 roster spots plus yeah. IR mm-hmm. plus practice squad, right. right? I mean, it's, it's just not what the NFL is trying to put together from a roster standpoint and then a hard cap standpoint. You can't compare this to any other sport we, we, that we cover, that anybody covers. It's just its own beast. So you can say that the cap is, is, isn't real. And you know, I'm happy to play those jokes every single off season, but at some point in time, good teams get tripped up by this and we're going to see it happen. If the saints are who I think the saints are this year, you're going to see them completely rip this thing apart completely. And and I know that's not their style and I know that's not the Eagle style and, and maybe that's not the right example right now for this year, but good teams can only do this for so long and the bills are showing this. The bills are only going to be doing this for three, four years. Even if Josh Allen remains the quarterback, it's just the way of the world. So, so Dan, we actually are going to transition to this point into a different conversation that Scott and I have had quite a bit offline and we've been dying to get this thing in front of the microphone. It's an NBA conversation we've had about, you know, and, and look, none of this is really viable to any upcoming CBA. We're not, we're really just kind of spitting into a spitting into microphone here, but to transition smoothly before we we're headed here, Dan, you know, what happens when a, a restructured Deshaun Watson accounts for 65 million of cap dollars in 2024 or in 2025, and the salary cap is only 240 because they had to pay back COVID payments and things like that. And the league didn't want to adjust things too high. get into a balloon standpoint. So what happens when one player is truly almost 35 to 40% of the salary cap? Do you see a need in any sport? This could be baseball. This could be basketball. Let's Let's take the top three here, baseball, basketball, and football. Do you think there's going to be a growing need to have some sort of designation for players like this who are so far different than anything else that the league has, right? The quarterback position is in its own room now. Financially speaking, from a power standpoint, from, from everything, negotiation standpoint, they're just in their own room. Should they be in a separate room when it comes to the salary cap?
0: I think it's going to be almost impossible to split apart like that, right? Um, I know exactly what you mean. I, I think it's just, I think we're just going to get a clearer rhythm of quarterbacks being signed to rookie contracts and paid F and paid on a timeline where the rest of the roster is cheaper. I, I don't, am I laying that out correctly? Like
1: you are, but that's what worries me. <laughs> cause, cause, the, uh, yeah. cause the higher that the, that the next man up process in the quarterback position goes, the less the rest of the 52 other players are going to be able to handle. And that's just a right. fact. So is there going to be a breaking pointer? Cause, and, and let, and let me roll this into it too. And Scott, you can jump in when you need. The, the way that the NBA has figured this out is, and it's the players that figured it out, is instead of trying to demonize one team, whether it's the team that drafted you or, or et cetera, et cetera, whether it's trying to negotiate with them over and over and over and over again to get the max dollars, to get their max contracts, they're simply bouncing around the league. We see LeBron doing it. We see Durant doing it. We see you know Kawhi Leonard doing it. Paul George doing it. All the big names, for the most part, have switched teams one, two, three times to maximize their pay, to maximize their ability to win, et cetera, et cetera. Smaller roster, way easier to do that. But at some point in time, and and I think, Scott, I see you coming with Durant a little bit, is there going to be a ton of pushback on all this movement that's good for us and good for business, but is it really good for the sport? Or should there be a system in place for baseball and for football, and we'll go back to the teams that aren't doing this right now, to say, look, we got to make sure that Josh Allen is a Buffalo Bill forever. And we got to make that easier on Brandon Bean to do that. And we got to make it easier on Lamar Jackson and the Ravens and easier on Aaron Rodgers and the Packers. And yes, these guys, I'm not taking cash away, by the way, okay? Aaron Rodgers can go make $50 million any anytime he wants. But should it be easier? Should there be a system in place so that Green Bay doesn't have a $71 million dead cap hit in 2025 like they're about to just because they had to pay Aaron Rodgers top dollar and fully guarantee it? <laughs>
2: This is the conversation we had a few weeks ago with the Gold State Warriors and yeah. Steph Curry and a legacy where d- do you go where you get a percentage off of the luxury tax? Similar situation could happen in the in the NFL, too, where if you designate a certain player or two or however many the, the CBA would want to have, you, know, you can designate, all right, Josh Allen only counts for 50% of the cap or whatever it might be throughout the remainder. So if it would, you know, if there is a $71 million dollar dollar dead cap, then cut that in half or whatever it might be. Um, We might be getting to that point because, you know, Dan was talking about with the cap going up, we had this last week where I mentioned the NBA cap is just going to keep going up and we're going to have $70, $80 million salaries in ten years, if things keep going in that trajectory, yeah, you know, same thing in the same thing in the NFL. If the cap is going to keep going up, the dead cap is only going to get worse, which means the salaries are only going to get worse. So it, there's going to have to be a breaking point, and if the breaking point is doing like a soft reset where you're able to do some kind of legacy, uh, you know, relief mm-hmm. on on cap, then. That might be the way that the a league has to go. Um, and and obviously, we've never seen this happen really in any other sport outside of the MLS, which has a designated player where three players don't count against their salary cap. Um, but other than that, you know this would be something new. And I wouldn't be surprised if, you know the NBA <laughs> was proactive in doing something like this because they've been proactive in that retrospect with maximum salaries and that kind of
1: stuff anyway and they've got a, a cba opt-out coming up too so there's going to be and they of do that, too. that <gasps> stuff yeah exactly
2: and it, and it will because with the whole golden state situation yeah. that just happened and the amount of tax that they're going to still pay over the next two years if they retain all these players and then extend some of those players it's going to be even worse so it's it's going to be at the forefront for sure yeah
0: As you lay that out, it's not an apples to apples comparison, but that it sounded a lot to me like the how the NHL operates that when a major contract is signed, it doesn't work out. Team looks to move out from under that. It's so debilitating to move that it's an anchor and you basically have to buy it out. We've seen what that does to NHL, free agency, the trade deadlines. It just slows everything down. So Mike, kind of to back up what i said earlier i hope it doesn't go that I, I think it will be an issue if we do allow the divide now maybe this is another conversation for a, like a whole different pod but did you guys see the andrew Brandt stuff with the russell wilson contract about how he commented that russell wilson's agent was pushing for not a uh, maybe i have this wrong mike so correct me but not a straight financial dollar but an actual percentage of the cap so as the cap increases every year now i think if that go if we go down that road it will be extremely difficult to manage a, a roster with an increasing quarter because really the only value now is almost immediately if you sign a quarterback tomorrow to a major contract it might look bad today but it only looks bad until the next quarterback signs the next bigger contract and two years down the line it looks like Josh Allen's contract is going to be a value when all when Deshaun Watson's contract is getting signed when this Russell Wilson contract gets signed. So I think the value portion that is left for teams to sort of grasp onto is when the cap increases and you already locked in that quarterback at that stagnant price. But if things change to the point where that price escalates every year based on the cap level, that is going to create a lot of issues down the line in my opinion. I don't know if I Can just I- like ripped off a whole so, you, thing, you, you, but just, you might be able to lay that out. You put,
1: on, you put the softball on a tee for me here because I was about to dive into this neck of the woods a little bit, and I think I can cap this off for us nicely, and then we'll transition Scott into one of your thoughts from before. Um, it's always been hilarious to me that the one financial restraint or benefit that the NFL offers is a salary cap decrease for veteran players that make the minimum salary. So, so in other words, the NFL says, all right, go sign a 36-year-old linebacker and pay him a million dollars, and then it only costs 800000 on the cap. What the hell good is this doing? Outside of, by the way, giving people jobs, which I understand that's a, that's a benefit. We want the 36-year-old to be able to get the job if he can get it. But that's the only you know, incentive, financially speaking, that the league, that CBA offers players and teams you know, advantage-wise. What if it worked the exact opposite way? What if I'm tapping into what you just said, and Andrew Ben has said quite a bit. He said it with Aaron Rodgers as well. Um, number one, in order, to, in order to, to proceed what I'm about to offer here, the NFL has to lay out salary cap values, future salary cap values, like baseball does, like the NBA sort of does. Scott, you kind of know where it's going next year and for the, and the year after that, and they do that on purpose. For team budgeting, but also because players' contract extensions rely on what the salary cap is because it's a percentage of the cap for the maximums. So the NFL makes so much goddamn money, it's a joke that they have to wait and see how their revenue rolls out. Oh, we got to see how much came in from beer sales and from parking. Shut up. You're making $80 billion, right? And you're grossing $80 billion a year you made $40 billion when the freaking world was shut down from COVID. And yes, we, we're going to have to pay some of that back. But can we just stop? Like football is not going away. The NFL is not dead, right? Concussions aren't stopping anything. They're going to make a ton of money. So let's just lay out the next five years worth of salary caps. And then from that, now that we know, and by the way, we can give a little bit if it's got to go up or down 500, 600,000, fine. But this is going to be the ballpark salary caps for the next five years. If. You are Russell Wilson. Let's just say I'm, I'm Justin Herbert, and I'm an MVP this year, and I need a contract extension next offseason. And I want to be the first player to go up and get the maximum percentage of salary cap situation. So not only can the, can the Chargers structure it with, in that regard, because they know what the next five salary caps are, so they can literally say a base salary of $25 million is 20% of whatever. You know what I'm saying. A $12 million base salary is going to be 20% of the 2024 salary cap. And then the new CBA says, if you do give that max contract and you give a max salary, which is 20% of the, league, of the league salary cap, base salary every year, not average salary, I'm talking every single year, if the base salary, if the compensation for a player maximizes a certain percentage of the salary cap, the team gets a salary cap credit for that player. In other words, the, the quarterback gets the maximum amount possible every single year of his contract. And if that quarterback finishes, there's a cap credit to the team for having that player on a maximum contract. It's the reverse 180 of, of the minimum salary benefit that exists right now. So I do think it's possible. And I do think it's just laziness from the NFL not being not not getting their finances in order and not and not going along with the notion that they, you know, this thing could blow up at any second. And we can we don't know what the franchise tag's values are until two days after the franchise tag windows open. It's just laziness be the nba be proactive show everybody how much goddamn money you make because we already know everybody knows how rich the nfl is we already know how rich the nba is scott right i mean it's ridiculous how 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 much global money that league gets and they use it to their advantage with these maximum deals with superstar contracts with percentages by promoting their salary cap and how big it's going to get every year i I just think the nfl is missing a point here To a maximize quarterback contracts like they're doing, but with more specificity, that's a tough word. And then also build in a salary cap benefit so that RB two and WR three and, and defensive tackle four can get a little bit more of this pie because I'm telling you, we saw this in the other sports, Scott, the NBA had to basically lock out to fix this. LeBron James and Chris Paul had to, had to fix this themselves when the seventh and eighth guys in these rosters were getting peanuts. Versus $25 million contracts everywhere else, there's going to be a point where everybody looks at, around the locker room and sees one guy making $55, $60 million a year and everybody else is making you know, $1.4 And that's just not good business. It's not good for the sport. It's not good for anything. So I think these kind of creative ideas have to start coming forward. And, uh, and just to transition, Scott, why don't you lay out the idea you brought to the table about rookie, co- rookie contracts and specifically the Lamar Jackson situation? And we'll finish on this thought.
2: Yeah. So I, I had this thought of Lamar Jackson was an MVP, and Derrick Rose on his rookie scale was an MVP. So I was meshing the two of. All right. What if in the in the NFL they had some sort of rookie designation where, if since Lamar Jackson won MVP, there was some sort of special rule for players that do that. Now I know Lamar Jackson is you know one of zero right now, uh, a one of one with winning the MVP in a rookie in, mm-hmm. in a rookie scale season, but it, it with the rookie value, it, it may happen more and more. I mean if Herbert or Joe Burrow, you know it may come down the pipeline. So in the NBA, if you win MVP or you are all NBA first second or third team, defensive player of the year, you can trigger a designated status, which we've talked about with Luca and Trey young and, and Zion. If they, if Zion wins, you know, Mm -hmm. an all NBA nod this year, you can escalate to 30% of the cap. So I pose the question to you, what is stopping this? And we had the conversation back and forth, you know, two, two things that we came out with our conversation was if, if it's not only necessarily MVP, but maybe a Defensive Player of the Year, Offensive Player of the Year, yeah. All-Pro, if any of those hit, a, you know, to a certain extent, you know, maybe the franchise tag becomes player options where the player has the option to accept it or decline it, and it could be in the first or in the second if they get a second tag. Or I I had also posed of instead of extending in that final year, maybe they can extend a year ahead of time. You know, if they do get the, in the second year of their contract, they can do an extension early
1: Dan. Um, thoughts? <laughs> <laughs> there, there's a lot there. It's an I interesting
0: think. concept. I haven't, yeah, I haven't heard of this uh, yet. Um,
1: what if Lamar, what if Lamar couldn't be, be, be franchise tagged right now because he, because he won an MVP. is it, I is it the worst thing in the world
0: well i tend to think no for a quarterback because i think it's a lower risk higher upside financially so like mm-hmm. um you know
1: meaning you he would slap a meaning he would meaning, the franchise tag
0: well meaning he would be more okay with it like than a run you know we see running backs who really don't want it because they want to secure a long-term deal. I think quarterbacks are a little bit more comfortable playing year to year on, and not to mention the, the, the franchise number is like way higher for a quarterback. So, so that's so, what I mean.
1: So Dan, that's why we made play. it a player option. Instead of just saying, okay, winning the MVP right. during your rookie contract doesn't take away the franchise tag. But if your team offers you the franchise tag, you now have the right to, to flat out decline it as right. at, almost like a mutual options, essentially. And, uh, and that then gives you the choice to say, all right, I'm, I'm happy to play on the $30 million or I want to go to free agency. You, you have that option now you've earned that up op- and maybe it's one MVP, maybe it's two all pro designations, whatever it's going to be. You know, you can get fancy with this, like the NBA has done Scott, but I do think, cause by the way, the fifth year options being tied to pro bowls, I mean, this is what we came up with. All these ideas that were possible. This is what we came up with. Lamar gets extra money because he made Pro Bowls. Something that literally they're trying to get rid of. They're, they're they're dying to get rid of. And now it's built into the CBA that financially they can't get rid of it because fifth-year quarterbacks need it. It's ridiculous. It's just absolutely ridiculous. But I think something like this a lot is a lot more measured. The NBA has had a lot of success with it. You are promoting superstar players to a more money and b more spot. You know, a bigger spotlight. For sure, because you know, now it puts more power in in his hands to say, if I'm Lamar Jackson, yeah, I I love the hundred and twenty two million dollars on tags over the next three years. Let's let's just stick this route. Or you're right, if you're uh, you know, James Conner who who or Kenyon Drake got a transition tag a couple of years ago, if he was an all pro a couple of years in Arizona, he could have said, nah, I, I want to go to free agency. I'm gonna skip that. So I, I think there's something to it. Um But you're right. It's it's the non-quarterback positions that we're trying to figure out here most, Dan. You're right.
0: And and I I think I'm stumbling on it so hard mentally because I'm trying to get straight the like the labor standpoint, like who would be arguing for what point and like the benefits and the offset. Do you know what I mean? Like would that all be, you know, would the players' association be okay with that?
2: Um, Right. There has to be a player. There has to be the player incentive Mm -hmm. for it and and not the the team side. So in the NBA, it helps because it's tied to the max. You you can go 25% or 30%. So you're right. The the non-quarterback, but that's where I added in the all-pro designation because that way – if you're if you're a a safety in your rookie year that has in year two and three had all pro designations, then you would trigger whatever incentive for, for a player, how, whatever they would come up with. Maybe, maybe it is a percent. Maybe it's a, a higher percent than the franchise tag or whatever. Or you you get locked in automatic dollars for your fifth year. Or it, I I just think it's a, a f- interesting conversation with everything that's going on with Lamar and. You know, he did make the MVP, which is where Derrick Rose, this rule came out of Derrick Rose winning the MVP in his rookie year. And now look at what it is, is spanned off into. We've got the maximum, you know, designated player extensions and designated rookie extensions, like Luca being triggering it a year early. We knew he was going to make 30% of the cap. And so, you know, if we have these incentives, then – especially for the non-quarter, non-quarterback positions, then that just helps rise the finances. If if there are franchise tag players getting hit, then, you know, that may help because maybe it's going to make those average salaries higher.
1: Dan, I'm putting you on the spot completely here. Can you formulate this process for Aaron judge right now? Because I think Aaron judge is going to win an MVP. And how does that, how should that change him hitting free agency right now? Should the qualifying offer be removed from him? Does that make, does that matter as much? Mm-hmm. Because baseball's done so little with this. They basically just say, once you're done, you're done. I mean, you can talk about the rookies war situation and how there's going to be some benefits. It's, it's all good stuff. I mean, I'll take anything at this point, but it, there's. Uh, You know, and by the way, I can come back to bite you in the ass too, because Chris Bryant won an MVP. (laughs) That was a disaster. Cody Bellinger, that's been a disaster. So there's certainly examples of, you know, in those six years, players having one great year and then never getting to the finish line with it. But should baseball be doing something similar to, to, and by the way, should it be some sort of advantage to the Yankees keeping him? Or should it be some sort of advantage to Aaron Judge maximizing his potential to make money elsewhere?
0: Man, that, I don't know because there's really no, fr- like the franchise tag portion of it, there's mm-hmm. really nothing established like that in baseball, right? And we've, we've talked whether players, I mean, we've seen a major shift in players wanting to go shorter term, higher AAV to keep the flexibility. I think what you're trying to say is you can internally build that flexibility in by, by using a franchise type system where a yeah. player can, opt out, opt in, stay long, stay. Um, So it's Aaron judge to answer your question. If this came up and there was some sort of, you know, (laughs) process in place for this, I think Aaron judge is turning it down regardless. I mean, the guy's trying to go get a massive deal, right. But maybe, maybe a generational player isn't the best example for me to like kind of think is it as easy as
1: because you're right there's just no restrictions after six years is it as easy as saying the mvp is going to get him paid so it doesn't even matter in baseball um because chris bryant still got 182 million dollars even though he's a bag been a bag of sand for two seasons
0: right right (laughs) um yeah i mean i I, it's hard to say because the quarterback is just so unique it's unlike any sport in baseball. I don't really, or any other sport. um, I think baseball gets difficult with the, like even a franchise tag thing, trying to assign values to specific positions when players play all over or infield utility or only corner outfielders. So so I, I'm like trying to think through all of those processes, but to like simply answer your question. um,
1: You can say no. I, I think no is the answer.
0: Yeah, I think it's difficult. I think it would be very difficult,
1: yeah. and I and I
0: don't think it would change much for Aaron Judge. I agree specifically. Now, you want to talk about Max Scherzer or Jacob Degrom or somebody like that who was specifically towards the end of their career targeting a short, like it's not targeting; it's just the timeline of their career is a short-term dollar, or short-term contract with a high AAV. I mean, that might be the better test case for it. Um
1: in terms of stripping like, away that qualifying offer? Because it is gonna be yeah. a pain in the ass for teams to sign them with that? Maybe, yeah. I yeah. think so too. Uh, I think it's I think if there's a certain amount of years of service plus some sort of production, whether it's uh, you know, all stars or, or or they have all pros, right? There's there's an all team, right? All MLB? Yeah. That's new. So if you have it's two all MLB. So I do think that with years of service, and it's similar to the NBA, no trade clause, right, Scott? I mean, you can, when, you, when you get to a certain point in your career, that kind of stuff yeah. gets stripped away. I, I do agree with you on that one, Dan. But can well, I go back to your quarterback point real quick? Um, I, I know you think we're kind of hammering that and that it's moot because those guys are just going to get paid no matter what. What if they don't soon? What if what if the Lamar Jackson situation becomes something that everybody's looking at to say, "Well, why is why don't we all just do this?" We still get 8 years from a player or 6 7 years out of a guy. Yeah, we're paying him a lot of money, but we're not paying him that much money, right? And we're not paying him Kyler money. What you know what I mean? The difference between Lamar Jackson and Kirk Cousins is that one is Lamar Jackson and one is Kirk Cousins. You know, and Dak Press got somewhere in the middle of those two. But those are the three examples now. And I I firmly believe that Lamar's going the route of the of the double tag. So we now have three examples of this with with starting quarterbacks, with legitimate start with all pros, let's put it that way, with MVPs. What if this becomes a thing? Right? What if what if Cincinnati just simply says, We can't we can't put 200 million on escrow? I'm sorry. We got we'd rather go year to year with you. And put 40 and 50 and 55 in escrow and just do it that way because that's better for us financially now and the long term. So my concern is, even though we're eight years away from the next CBA, I, I think there's a chance that teams start to push back on this big quarterback pay this way by double tagging and then saying, take your walking papers and let bad teams pay it. I, I, think, we're, I think we could be headed there. This Lamar thing's bigger than I think some people anticipate.
2: Yeah, and I think going back to the whole designated conversation with this, I think the one element that the NBA is missing is if you do designate a player, all that does for the player is it allows them to get higher salaries, but it doesn't benefit the team outside of your retaining the player that you want. And it actually so hurts the that, team
1: because you it, can't it add another team, one of those players. Right. It, it, it hurts the team
2: quite a bit because now we're talking about you know, 50, 60 Million dollars, there's no relief there. So it's almost to the point where if you actually designate a player with that designated tag based off of the criteria that they meet, you can sign them to that high value. But then again, like we were talking about before, fifty percent discount, seventy five percent discount, whatever it might be. Similar conversation with Lamar. If if these rules were in place and you actually quote unquote designate him as your player, you can sign him to whatever. But then it helps you financially from the team side. So the player is getting paid, but the team is not necessarily getting a hit. And with your judge conversation, that's where, all right, judge meets a criteria, he gets the MVP. We're going to pay him, but it doesn't hurt our luxury tax, which is now what these high teams are trying to avoid to not have to pay. So, in that aspect, it would work out if he does win the MVP because we can pay him X amount of money and retain him and it won't hurt our books.
1: Whew. This is a uh, this is an eight-hour conversation. It definitely is. <laughs> we'll we'll yeah. get back to it, for, certainly at some point in time. The, the good news well, is that none of this can actually happen soon because all the CBAs <laughs> are pretty brand new. And Like I said, basketball might change some things. I'll just throw this out there to finish. What, what if when Luca went 30% instead of 25 because he earned it, what if 30% was cash, but 25% was cap?
2: Yeah, that would work too. I mean, it's a, it's a relief you aspect. Pay
1: his cap accounts for whatever it, w- it would have been if he was the just base. a normal superstar, but he still gets the double superstar money, this, you know the, the super tax yeah. money. All right.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And, and I laid out all these rules with the designated players on an article today. So if you're interested in seeing in the NBA who is designated, what the rules are, you, you can go and take a look. Some of the conversation has come up in the past week or so with the Donovan Mitchell, why he, he couldn't be traded to certain teams. Uh, so that's all laid out.
1: Yeah. How Ben Simmons is holding Brooklyn over their knee. Yeah. Good stuff. <laughs> um, by the way, Lamar Jackson is 100% going to sign a contract before I post this podcast, right? Guaranteed. <laughs> certain to happen. All right, guys. Good stuff. Thanks. Thanks. All right, my thanks to The Athletic. Visit theathletic.com slash track. Get yourself 40% off that first year subscription today. For Dan Soman and Scott Allen, my name is Mike Gennady. Thanks for listening to this edition of the Track Podcast.